let me uh, just uh, pray for us, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump on board, okay? Uh, God, we come before you this, this morning. We thank you for, for your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you that, you know, we get to uh, gather together, sing songs to your name. And now, God, as we uh, step into this moment, we open your word. We, we believe that you have something to say to us. We believe that your spirit wants to speak to us this morning. And all we ask, God, is that you will give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear what you have to say. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Um, so Brian, um, you know, reached out and said, hey, will, will you come preach today? Uh, it dawned on me this morning as I was getting ready that it's daylight, sa daylight savings time. And I'm not entirely sure that wasn't on purpose. That he looks like, I don't want to have to wake up early and, wor and worry about a sermon. So let's bring the Latino guy because they're early for everything, right? Uh, and that's how I ended up here. I don't know, but I'm just saying, like, I wouldn't put it past my friend Brian. Uh, okay, so Brian says we're talking about this idea of a maximizing your moment. And for some reason, when I heard that phrase, the very, very first thing that came to my mind is uh, this, this, this song by the great uh, American poet and songwriter uh, Eminem. Called Lose Yourself. I think we have actually like, like the cover of, of, of the album somewhere in the, in the screen, or maybe not. Uh, anyway, so uh, Eminem has this song called Lose Yourself, and it's like very, uh, very famous. Like I, it pumps me up probably more than any other song. It like gets me ready to go and, and, and whatever. Um, and uh, I mentioned that song for a couple of reasons. One is because I think that it kind of like a place a moment. The other is because you may not know this, but Eminem is Pastor Brian's favorite rapper. Now, I have to say, Brian Way has got to be the only black guy in America whose favorite rapper is a white dude, and that's a whole conversation for another, for another sermon, but anyway, so he likes right now. The, the reason why I, I thought about that song is because the, the song has, you know, kind of like the, this theme about, like, you know, making the most of your time, and you don't lose a moment, don't blow it, don't, don't, don't waste it, right? Uh, and, and it's one of the ways when you hear the phrase, maximizing your moment that we think about it. I, I went back through the recordings of the series, and, and Brian was mentioning how, you know, you have like, I think it's 168 hours in a week, and we should take advantage of each one of those hours, right? It's an hour that, that we can waste, an hour that we can use for something good. And, uh, you know, one of the approaches is that, that's the approach of the song, right? Like, you could waste time, and you shouldn't. Like, you have this opportunity, this moment, this, this work, this relationship, whatever is in front of you, and, and, and don't, don't waste any time. You know, just lean in, do what you can, and just kind of, like, work, work towards it. That, that's one of the moments. Now, uh, I, I think that there's a danger sometimes. I think that's important, right? We should, we should work hard. We should take advantage of things. But a lot of times it can also become like a burden or a pressure, right? Like, oh, my goodness, like, I have to get this stuff done. And if not, I'm going to get in trouble and I'm going to waste. And, you know, like, if I don't, like, get married before, like, I'm 29, then, like, I'm going to be, like, single and old and have, like, 50 cats by the time I'm, like, you know, 35 or something, right? And, and it's, like, this pressure that we put on ourselves sometimes. Now, the, there's another danger on the other side, which is we don't, we waste all the time, right? I'm good. I have time. Like, doesn't matter. Like, you know, I'm, I'm still, like, playing video games with my buddies, and I'm, like, 45 years old and, you know, haven't held a job for more than a year. And, like, life, life's, I, I have time, right? Like, we, we live in this, in this spectrum where there are dangers on both sides of what it means to maximize our moments. Some of us waste our time. Some of us abuse our time. 
And Brad asked me today to talk about what does this look like in the context of ministry? If we are serving God, how do we maximize our time in ministry? How do we make sure that we don't waste time in ministry? But also how do we make sure that we don't abuse our time in ministry? There's a story in the Gospel of Luke that I think gives us a glimpse into this. So if you have a Bible, open it in the book of Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to be reading from verses 38 to verse 42. And this is why it says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. If you grow up in, in, in a sort of church context, like this story is very famous, and it's a lot of times, and uh, in most of the cases I've heard the story, Martha is like the bad guy, right? Or the bad girl, I guess, in this case. And, and she's the one that's always like, oh, like, you know, it's like, like nagging you all the time. Like, Jesus, just tell her to help me, right? And, and, and people like, you know, exalt Mary because she's like, ah, Jesus, feet worshiping. Uh, Donnie, Donnie, Donnie Reynolds, who used to be the pastor here, uh, he would always say that he would take one Maria, one Martha over like five Marys because he needs to get stuff done. So he likes like the people that, 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 that get this stuff done. And, and he was joking, but I think that's a point. I, I don't think that the point of the story is necessarily to overly villainize Martha for working hard and trying to worry about getting things done. But I do think, there's maybe like, 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 like something underneath this story that can help us understand what it means to maximize our moments in ministry. If you, are, if you hear this story, usually you see yourself as one of the two, right? And you kind of know who you are, right? And some of you, if you're like on the super spiritual side, you're judging the other people. It's like, I get Jesus, right? Like, I spent time with Jesus. I love the Lord. I've never helped set up a chair in this church, but I love Jesus, right? And there's some of you who are like Martha, and you're like, man, like, I'm working hard for this thing, and I'm putting in this effort, and now Jesus is, like, throwing shade at me for, like, not being more spiritual. What's up with that? And I don't think it's out of the two. So there's probably, like, a way that, that we can understand this. So go with me to, for a second to the uh, Gospel of Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter 11. And let me read. This is Jesus talking, and this is what Jesus says. Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is teaching what it means to follow him. And this is a call that he makes. The first thing that he calls his, his followers, people come to him, he says, actually, I want you to lay down your burdens. Now, what types of burdens is Jesus talking about? I think that if we keep reading that, 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 that passage, we're going to see the answer to that. So this is the end of, of chapter, chapter 11. This is how chapter 12 begins, like the very next chapter, the very next thing on, on, on the book, Gospel of Matthew. Verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. 
His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated breath, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Or, or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to them, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored. Just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. What's going on here? Um, in Jewish culture at that time, the Sabbath was one of the most important, was really the most important day in the Jewish religion. It was the locus of Jewish worship. In a way that goes way, way, way beyond how even you and I think about the Sabbath. For, for, for the Jewish people, the Sabbath was incredibly important. It was this holy, sacred day where they worship God. And, and Jesus, apparently, at, at first glance in this story, is not taking the Sabbath that seriously. Like, they're like, okay, you're like, your disciples are like just cavalierly, like, picking up food, and you're like, you know, healing people and, and like doing all these things. And it's almost like, what, what, what's up with you, Jesus, right? Now, I don't think that Jesus did these things because he didn't honor the Sabbath. After all, if you think about it, he kind of invented the Sabbath, right? So it was, it was his idea. He thought it was important, right? Now, but, but I think there's something, something else going on. So, and, and think about both interactions, right? From like Jesus' disciples picking up grains of rice to feed themselves to Jesus healing the man with the shriveled hand. What you see in this story is two different types of approach to the Sabbath. The Pharisees, the people that were keeping the laws and regulations at the time, they were approaching the Sabbath as a rule. And they were actually setting up all these other rules and regulations, and they were all about, like, don't do this and don't do that. And they were, like, so afraid of, like, breaking the Sabbath in somehow that they started, like, building all these, like, additional rules to what the Sabbath actually was supposed to be in the first place. Um, last year in November, I was in Israel for, for a trip. And um, on Friday afternoon, we kind of, like, went back to our hotel, and our tour guide explained, listen, the Sabbath is about to start. And um, in certain interpretations of, of kind of like the, the Jewish religion, like any work is bad, including says like pressing the buttons on the elevator. So our hotel has special Sabbath elevators. And the Sabbath elevator basically stops on every floor, opens, you walk in, and then it keeps stopping on every floor. So you don't have to press the button, right? Now, 
I mean, I don't want to sound like disrespectful to other systems of belief, but come on. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, what's that? That is, we're so afraid of, of, of breaking a law, and that's become such a burden on us, that we're going to set up all this structure of rules and regulations on top of that to make sure that we don't mess up, that we don't take a misstep. And you know what the end result of that is? That for the Pharisees, the not working on the Sabbath had become work. Do you have any idea of how exhausting it is to at all times just be making sure that you're not breaking any of the things? number of regulations they're not even aware by the end of the day you need a, a sabbath from your sabbath just because of how much you've been trying to keep up with that like you know they couldn't even use common sense to help people in need for fear of breaking the law that's what verse 7 says i desire mercy not sacrifices they were so obsessed with the sacrifices that they could not even offer mercy to people now I don't think that Jesus is saying in this story that keeping the Sabbath or observing the Sabbath is wrong. What I think he's saying is this. Keeping the Sabbath shouldn't be such a burden. Now, why do I say this? Let's go back to the story of Martha and Mary for a second. This story is not exactly about the Sabbath. But I do think that both stories share the same sentiment. You see, Martha is trying to do all these things for Jesus. But Jesus is coming, and she wants to serve Jesus, right? So I'm guessing that she cleans the house, and I'm guessing that she's preparing the food, and I'm guessing that Jesus usually didn't, like, just show up by himself. Like, you know, in the Greek, Jesus rolled deep. Right? So, like, Jesus will go into a place with, like, his disciples and a bunch of people with him. And Martha is trying to, like, feed, like, dozens of people and try to make sure that, you know, like, everything is working out. The cat's not running out of the house, whatever it is. But, like, she, she has all this pressure. So, for her, you know, Jesus showing up, that was work. It was a burden. It was stressful. And actually, you see kind of like the, the result of that because when you read the story, Martha is, is exhausted. She's overwhelmed. And then she's kind of cranky. Like she goes, she's like, how dare you? Like, look, look at her. Like, like, look at my sister. Tell her to get up and help me. Um, Brian shared how, like, we met at, at Centerpoint in Annapolis. Um, I used to be on staff at Centerpoint. I was probably like after Donnie, the first person that came on staff at Centerpoint uh, many years ago. And um, the first three months of my time on staff at Centerpoint were really interesting because uh, I came on staff and like we fired the worship guy like a week later and nothing related to me. And it wasn't like a bad thing. It was just like it wasn't working out. So all of a sudden like I got hired for all these things and then all these other things kind of like got dumped on my plate. So I remember like the first three months of, of my life like on staff at Centerpoint, they were very, very stressful. And one of my roles was to like oversee the worship experience, right? So I would walk into, into the service and like we would sit like, if I, I, I kind of like even remember, we used to sit kind of like on the second or third row on this side. And Mary and my wife and I would sit together. And I kid you not, she would, she, she, she would not let me lie. At, at least twice every song, I would stand up and walk all the way to the back to yell at somebody because the right slide wasn't up. And I would be like, I, I, and, and I wouldn't be worshiping God. 
for the first three months of my life that this was my dream job. Like all I, before that, I, I, I was answering for an insurance agency. And it's a great job if you work in insurance. That's awesome. I, I had uh, a few years in that field, but it wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. What I wanted to do with my life was I wanted to be in ministry. And I was finally in ministry, and I was exhausted, and I was overwhelmed. And my old productivity was kind of cranky sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, serving God became this burden. And I wasn't even worshiping God. Now, what's the solution to that? What does the rest of the story say? Well, Martha has his sister, Mary, right? And Mary is taking a different approach to her relationship with Jesus. Jesus walks into the house, and Martha goes to the kitchen to make food. Mary goes to Jesus and sits at his feet. So he says that she sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he said. You see, for Mary, her relationship with God was centered around presence, around just being with Jesus. For, for Martha, it was centered around service, doing stuff for Jesus. And I don't think that Jesus is saying in this story that service is wrong. Because if we keep reading, Jesus ate whatever Martha was cooking. So he's like, yeah, I shouldn't do that, but can I have some more fish fry? It's good stuff, right? So I don't think that Jesus is saying that service is wrong. What I think is going on is that Jesus is kind of like trying to lay the ground and explain service cannot be the center of our relationship. Because if only service is the center of a relationship, what's going to happen? You're going to be overwhelmed, and you're going to be exhausted, and you're going to be cranky. Look at how Jesus answers Martha, verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord said, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, this is what I think is going on in this story. I, I think that the one thing that Mary got right was that she understood that her relationship with Jesus was primarily about being with Jesus, not about doing things for Jesus. You know what doing things for God is? That's religion. That's don't use the elevator because it's a Sabbath. That you can't feed people or feed yourself because it's a Sabbath. You cannot heal somebody that's sick because it's a Sabbath. It's like we, we create this number of rules. And, and you know why we add these rules? Because in our minds, the more rules we keep, the more that God has to love us somehow. Martha is really telling Jesus, you pay attention to me. Like I'm the one doing things for you. Mary's just like sitting there. And Jesus flips that on its head because the problem of religion is that we think that somehow it has to earn us God's favor. I know the problem with that is that then it just keeps getting harder and harder and harder and harder to do. And it's a burden. I think that when Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What Jesus is saying is you don't have to carry the burden of religion. 
you don't need to do stuff to get me to love him. I already do. Now, what does this have to do at all with maximizing our momentary ministry? After the three months that I was at, at Center Point, um, we had we used to have like a young adults community group, like a small group that met like on, on Sunday evenings. And, and for this, actually Jake used to lead that. Now I remember. Right there. Yeah, yeah. Jake used to lead. It was great. We talked about like X-Men for some reason. I remember. Uh, anyway, so Jake used to lead our small, our, our small group. And this particular Sunday, for some reason, we didn't have it. Like it was, it, was, it was off. And I wanted to do something. And I had heard this guy preach at a conference months ago. And I knew that he pastored a church in D.C. that met on Sunday evenings. And I really liked his, his sermon, so I told me, hey, there's this guy I heard preach once, and I know that he has a church that meets on Sunday evenings. Can we go? It was right on Sunday evening. Uh, we drove to D.C. We were living in Naples at the time, and we went to a service. And it was a very interesting service. He preached, he, he pastored what you would call like an evangelical Anglican church. So think of like an Episcopalian church format, but like they believe the Bible and they love Jesus, kind of like weird we're mixed. Anyway, so, so we, we, go, we attend this service, and, um, and it was very different from what we're used to. One of the things that, that happened in that service was, like, they wouldn't serve communion kind of, like, passing you the, 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 the thing. They would serve communion by kind of, like, setting up a, a cup on top and picking up a bread, kind of like what we do here, right? And the service kind of, like, go, ends, and then they start having communion, and then they invite you to walk forward. And I remember walking forward. And, you know, you come in to receive communion and receive the bread, you know, the, and, and, the, and then it's, like, very like the story because somebody looks at you and says, this is the body of Christ broken for you, and I receive the bread. And then you, you walk a couple of steps, and then somebody's having a cup of wine. And, and I remember there's this girl, and she looks at me, and she says, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then she looks at me, and she says, drink, be thankful. And something happened inside of me that evening. And I remember just like walking back to my seat, just like tears streaming down my face. And the realization I had had is that for the last three months, I hadn't been worshiping God. That serving, that ministry had become a burden. And God had kind of like to take me to D.C., out of my comfort zone, out of a setting in which I was serving at all, to remind me of why I served him in the first place. Not because I was doing, but because of what he had done. Because of the body that was broken, because of blood that had been poured out for me. And that was an incredibly uh, transformative experience to me. By the way, that story, in a weird way, is why you guys celebrate communion the way you do. Because after that, I went back to Center Point. I told him we have to do it like this. And here we are. Just so you know, like that, that's the origin story of why, why we do communion this way here. Anyway, um, the reason I'm telling you that is because I think that there's a secret in there on how we can approach ministry in a way that truly maximizes the moment. And, and I would just kind of like spend a couple of minutes here, but this is what I would say. We have to understand what maximizing the moment in ministry is about. For a lot of us, maximizing the moment in ministry is about results. 
It's about how good the song sounds. It's about how good the coffee tastes. It's about how many people show up on a Sunday morning. It's about how much people give on a Sunday morning. Like, like we, we, make maxi- we, we think of the objective of ministry particularly about like the, whatever the results it produces. Think about the word ministry. What does it mean? It means to minister. The result of ministry is not for us to accomplish any of these things. It's to minister to God. Ministry is worship. And you have to think about it like that. And the way in which you understand that ministry is worship is if you already have a relationship of worship with God. You know what I'm saying? There's some of us here, this is kind of like a, I don't want you to misunderstand it. Um, There's a book by a guy named Gary Chapman. It's called like uh, The Sacred Pathways. Sorry, he has also like the book of the five little languages. I was confused. This is a book called Sacred Pathways. And in that book, he talks about how like different people connect with God in different ways, right? Some of us connect with God by being in nature and taking a hike. Some of us connect with God by doing acts of service. Some, Some of us connect with God by like having relationships with people, like all sorts of things. I think that's right, and I agree with that thesis. However, I would say if you read the scriptures top to bottom, if you look at anybody that's ever lived and followed Jesus, worship, the, the relationship with God, in spite of all the other things, has to begin with a personal relationship of worship with God, with a personal relationship of communion with God. You don't get to skip that step. You don't say, oh, it's weird for me to pray and read my Bible, so I'm not going to do it, and I'm only going to, like, talk to people on Sunday morning. At some point, that won't sustain the other thing. You know what I'm saying? Your life of worship, your life of communion with God, your life of relationship with God is what sustains the work that you do for God. And if you don't have that, the other thing is going to fall apart eventually. You know how it falls apart? When we're all in a bad mood on Sunday morning. We're in a bad mood because we got up late because it was daylight savings time and the trailer wasn't starting. So we're running like 30 minutes behind and then half the band didn't learn their songs. This never happened to me, by the way, right? So like half the band didn't learn their songs and, and, and you're practicing and nothing's working. And like, you know, the guy running the slides isn't running them. And then the guy running sound like keeps messing up. And you end the service and you're just like overwhelmed and exhausted and cranky. And you're kind of like yelling at Jesus, like, why don't you tell them to do the things that I want them to do? What's that? That's ministry that isn't sustained by worship. I wonder if the reason why Jesus was able to keep his cool and his calm so much time, the, the reason why Jesus was able to just emanate this peace to the world, is because everything that he did flew out of a relationship with the Father. So he understood the importance of things. And when something went wrong, it didn't overwhelm him, and it didn't make him lose his cool. But only that, when you're living out of that relationship of communion with God, the other stuff flows easier. Use that. Even when it's hard. Even when things don't go right. If you're flowing out, if, if you have a heart that's filled with thankfulness, and gratitude, and all for God. It's just your joy to come and serve Him. 
It's just your joy to engage people. It's just your joy to sing songs for him. It's just your joy to, like, get up in the morning and stuff. It's just natural. Like, it's, it comes from a different place. So I think that you know, if we want to maximize our moments in ministry, we have to start there. We have to start like Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet. And once we're Jesus' feet, what do we have to do? We have to lay down our burdens. It's the next thing I would, I, I would think. I think that one of the reasons why a lot of times ministry becomes overwhelming for us is because we think that the results are on us to produce. That we have to, you know, get people to come. And then we have to, like, bring people to Christ and, 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 and like, convince people, convict people of sin. That's not your job. You're the Holy Spirit. You know what you're doing? You're setting the table. That's your job. You're saying, though, we're creating the space. Like the, the, the mission statement of our church is we, we exist to create spaces where people can have transforming encounters with God. We don't want people to have transforming encounters with us. And we don't think that we can transform anybody. All we do is we set the table. Well, if you saw ministry like that, you know what happens when you see ministry like that? It's more exciting because you never know what God's going to do. And you just say, God, I'm doing this, and I'm just, I'm saying the table, and then it's on you. I wonder how many of us in this room, we're walking around with this burden that, hey, the church isn't growing faster because of me. Or like this, this couple came, and I didn't say hi to them or whatever, and it's because of me. And then you're fighting. There's this, it's a burden that's impossible to bear. It's impossible to bear for anybody. And if you want to maximize your moments in ministry, you have to understand that. That it's ultimately about God. So we learn to live at Jesus' feet. And everything that we do is our relationship. And then we lay our burdens before him. And then we go and do the work. And we do the work out of joy and out of gratitude. And then we let God accomplish the things that only God can accomplish. There's this passage in the book of Zechariah. And, and, and Zechariah is kind of like just almost like giving this, this, this prophecy to people. And Zechariah is basically saying how, like, you know, the, 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 the temple is going to be rebuilt. And it's kind of like this vision. And then at the end of that, of that, of that whole vision, there is just kind of like this line that the Holy Spirit interjects. And it's, it's the Holy Spirit speaking about how the temple is going to be rebuilt one day. And the Holy Spirit says in that prophecy, says, it's not by might. And he says, and it's not by power. By my spirit. You know how we maximize our moments in ministry? And whatever we do, we realize that if the church of Christ is going to thrive in the world, and I think it is, and if God is ultimately going to win the victory against the forces of evil and darkness and rescue or redeem a people for himself and save those who are lost, and I think he is. So by might, so by power. It's not just by the hard work that you do. It's not by your exhaustion. It's not by your stress. It's by His Spirit. And then you realize that serving Christ is a 
God wants you to be at care. My hope for you guys, my dream for you guys, would be that Sunday mornings would be like your favorite type time of the week. And chances are that it's not for some of you. Chances are that some of you dread it because you have to wake up super early and drive the trailer and set up, and then you're stressed about what's happening, and you're tired. And, and I say it's because I've been there. The first uh, 10 months of the life of our church were really stressful. And really hard. We're like this big theater. We're, we're not like that big of a church. And the only place that we could find was like this big theater. So it always felt like, you know, there wasn't enough people. And they, they gave us storage in the place. But they, it was a theater. And they gave us storage on the, on like the ceiling above the, 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 the stage. And you had to go up like, you know, like four, like, like three or four like long flights of stairs to get to the stuff and then drag it down. So we're like, you know, seven in the morning drying this giant screen and drums and stuff like that. It, we were exhausted and like, we're not, never in a good mood. And it was just this like, way of doing ministry, was like, killing us. And I remember like at some point, I told everybody, we have to get out of here. We just have to get out of here. We, we ended up, and it worked out, we ended up breaking our lease early and, and the, the land, the, uh, the, the management of the theater allowed us to that they were incredibly gracious. It didn't end up working well. But it was killing us. And looking back in retrospect, one of the things I regret is that I feel like I was living with that pressure. I have to make this happen. It's on me. And, you know, for a number of things that happened last year, God kind of changed my mentality. In that, and, and, and I'm at the place now that I think, you know what? It's not on me. And I don't care what anybody says, and I don't care how anybody like, so oh, why are you producing more results? No, no, no. My job is to seek God and live with God and love God and then work, of course, do what I have to do out of that. And then whatever results come out of it, they're on God. I want to invite you guys to live life like that. If you are serving in a ministry team at Centerpoint and you're feeling overwhelmed, Jesus' invitation to you this morning is to come to him and lay down your burdens. Some of you are here and you might not be serving. And maybe this invitation for you is actually, and you might not be serving precisely because you're afraid it's going to be like that, right? That you're never going to have time and it's always going to be busy and always going to be stressed. And what if Jesus' invitation for you this morning is, no, actually there's a way in which you do ministry that brings you closer to, the, to me. And that you experience more of my love. And you experience more of my relationship. If you come to me.